I'm so thankful for a church that loves to worship, that recognizes where God belongs on the throne. Amen? Um, I know many of you are gearing up this week for Thanksgiving. We have a lot to be thankful for. Uh, just pray for you as a church body as we go out and spend time with family. I know sometimes there can be tension in the home. Uh, as you go to different places, we pray for safety as some of you will be traveling. Maybe even today you have Thanksgiving meals with family members. Um, just pray for unity amongst the family. Um, pray for a time of truly stopping and just saying, thank you, Lord. I mean, you can get so rushed and running around and is this cooked? Is that cooked? And are we getting to the right place in time? We forget to pause and just say, thank you, Lord. So I pray that you as a church, that we as a church, can truly spend Thanksgiving in an enjoyable way in our time together with family. We have so much to be thankful for, don't we? Even for those of us that have had a rough year or even a rough week or maybe a rough morning, we have a lot to be thankful for. Every Thursday, um, we have the privilege of opening up our food pantry and people come in and we serve them a warm meal for a couple hours and then load them up with a couple uh, bags of food or a big box of food. And, and um, it, it's, it's a blessing to have conversations in there with people and to, to get to know them by name. And, and I, was, I was in the food pantry this week and, and a young couple came in and it's, I hear this often. And they expressed to me thanks and they said, why do you do this? Why does your church do this for us? And, and I've heard that often. And so I, I looked at them. I tried to keep it very simple. And my reply to them, and, I, and here's, here's what it is. It's this. I believe that there's a God who loves us. I know he loves me, especially. And because God loves me and loves this church, we just want to love back. We want to take the love of God and just give it back. That's, that's why we do this. We just want to express God's love. I want to share his love with you. Well, that young lady and her and her, her husband, and her young, she looked at me and she said, Oh, oh, okay, well, that's nice, but I'm not religious. Have you ever heard that before? Um, you know, I've heard it a few times in the food pantry, actually quite often in the food pantry. I'm not very religious. I, I, I get it. Truth is, though, we are all religious, okay? Either we believe in God or we believe in another force, or we just believe in our own selves. We worship something. Now, whether it's God or not is the question. <clears throat> so I, I, looked, I looked at her again. I said, oh, hey, hey, I'm not religious either. And she sort of looked at me and was like, no, I, I'm not. I'm not religious. I just have a relationship with God. I really enjoy it. And she's like, oh, okay, well. And then she went on to share her beliefs, and it was, it was a good conversation. But here's the thing. I don't want to be known... As a person who's following a, a set of rules or I got to meet a, a criterion for to be a certain point of being extra religious or a level of goodness. And I don't want to separate myself from those who are not. I want to be known for my relationship with God. That's how I want to be known for. I want to love God. You know, when this church started a little over 11 years ago, it started on the thought and the hope of I just want to go to a place on Sunday where I can love God. That's all I want to do. Don't want to worship a band, a pastor, or coffee, or chairs. I just, I just want to go somewhere where I can love God. That's, that's all I want to do. It's a day I can join in others in giving God some love back. 
a love that he richly deserves. It's a day when I can set aside my weekly schedule and everything that went on, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever it is, and just sort of set that all aside and just say, I just want to love on you today, God. That's where we started 11, little, almost, almost 12 years ago. But as I said last week, loving God may be something that we've all questioned, we've all wondered, we, we've all um, maybe some point in time in our life asked that question, you know, how do I love God? So hopefully last week after I mentioned that question, some of you thought about it a little bit more. And because here's the thing, because if we sin or if we doubt God or, or maybe we, 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 we um, mess up and we think, did that erase now my love for God and his love for me? Did my relationship just change because I'm struggling with my thoughts about God? I mean, am I really loving God? And the, the questions start going around. So I want to review just a little bit from last week, and I'm going to stick on one point. And then going back to that question last week, and you know, how do you love God? I summed it up into three points. I said loving God is, first of all, surrendering. I said it's immersing yourself in God's word, and then it's obeying his word. Those are, those are my top three, and there's, there's more. But for me, that's where it starts. A surrendering of my life and then that immersing yourself in God's word and obeying God's word. Those are really go together, but I separate them out. But I want to take a moment and just sort of ask the question, what is surrendering to God? How do I surrender to God? I mean, right now, you can, here's, here's an easy illustration, an easy story. If you look at the election process that we just had, when was it, two weeks ago was when we voted? But yet they're still in the couple states. There's still question as to who won. The, the votes are close. There was a winner that had more votes. And there's a loser who didn't have as many votes. But nobody's conceding. The person who has less votes is still saying, no, it's not over yet. You know, recognizing I, they're still, I'm still behind by, you know, hundreds and maybe thousands of votes. I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep fighting until I win. We're all seeing it, right? It's been so much talk in the news. This is what I'm talking about. Somebody who has lost will not surrender. Don't we do that in our own lives sometimes? Spiritually, we have been beaten down, but yet we still will not surrender to God. We won't recognize him as God. Surrendering to God is probably, I'm going to say this, it's getting to that point when you are tired of fighting a fight that you cannot win, and you finally surrender. You, you look at your opponent, and at that point in time, before you come to know God, God is your opponent. You've been fighting against him. You get to that point when you realize, God is big. I can't win this fight. I might as well surrender. When we get tired of maybe the, the darkness of sin in our life, when we get tired of the struggle, the consequences of, of disobedience, when we get to the point where we feel so much shame and so much guilt that finally we say, I surrender. Maybe it's when we're tired of being lost or depressed or disappointed. We feel hopeless, so we surrender. Or maybe we come to a point and realize, you know what? God is just awesome. I must surrender. It's standing at the Grand Canyon's edge and looking and looking out and seeing 
an amazing view that pictures just do not do justice. You take a deep breath and you say, I surrender. God did this. I surrender. We're humbled by God's love and power and realizing that we're not so powerful after all. We're helpless against an almighty God. Humbled that even when we make a mistake, he forgives us. We surrender. We mostly surrender, though, because I think we recognize his greatness. That's when the greatest moment of surrender comes. I'm going to ask you to grab your Bibles. We're going to look at quite a few passages. I'm going to put four passages on the screen. We'll look at that last one together. But I just want to share with you what various authors in the Bible said about God's greatness. Again, that surrender part, all those things that we talked about, what is surrendering? I think the greatest thing that causes us to surrender is recognizing the awesomeness, the greatness of God. And when we see that, when we sense it, when we realize it, that is the starting point of surrender. Psalm 145.3 says, Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. There's no scale that can weigh it out. There's no measuring tape that can stretch out to measure the greatness of God. There's no rating system to measure the greatness of God. Deuteronomy 10:17 says, "For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God who shows no partiality and he cannot be bribed." The God of gods, the Lord of lords, almighty and awesome. Second Samuel chapter 7, 22 to 23 says this. How great are you, O sovereign Lord. There's no one like you. I believe we just saying that. We've never seen or heard of another God like you. What, what other nation on earth is like your people Israel? What other nation, O God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You've made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people out of Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and you drove out the nations and the gods that stood in the way. Author after author after author talks about the greatness of God. Each of these godly people that wrote out God's word started with the realization that God is great. They had to surrender to God. You know, they could have very easily said, you know what, I'm going to add a few things into this, this letter, this book that I'm writing. But they couldn't. You know why? Because God is awesome and great. And to take their own words and put it in where God said to put something would be a mistake. So they had to humbly submit and surrender to an almighty God as they wrote these things. And then we look at 1 Chronicles chapter 29. In the first Chronicles chapter 29, it's in the Old Testament. Hopefully you're there. We're going to start in verse 10. I'll read a little bit and stop. So let's start in verse 10. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. So you can gather like the whole church, the whole assembly is gathered here. And he starts praising God. It says, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours, O Lord. 
And this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who's over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone. And you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand and at your discretion. People are made great and they are given strength. Now stop there. In that first part, as we read here in the book of Chronicles, David is saying, man, God is great. God is awesome. God is powerful. God is full of glory. God is victorious. God is majestic. He just starts throwing all these things about who God is. He's just powerful, right? He says, everything in heaven and earth belongs to God. How many of you parents have done this? When your kids were little, you had their, their winter coats and their jackets, and on the inside, on the back label, on the, the tag, you'd write, this coat belongs to, you'd write their name on there, right? Because you all know, if you've ever been to any of the elementary schools or middle schools, you go in, they have tables. It's an endless table of lost and found. I have no idea how they end up so big, so mighty. I mean... You could, you could seriously sell off everything and build another school. There's so much clothing there, okay? But a lot of us parents have figured out, you know what? I'm going to at least put my kid's name in there so I know who it belongs to. Maybe it was a lunchbox. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a toy on the bottom of your toy. You know, you write your name on there, whatever it may be. But now we know who it belongs to, right? When you look at this passage, here's the thing. If there were labels on objects, if I had a label on me across my chest, it would say, this belongs to God. I belong to God. The things of this earth belong to God. The tree out there, the dirt, the fields, those belong to God. A farmer or a landowner might maybe own the property, but you know who it really belongs to? It belongs to God. That's what David is saying here. Everything is his. He owns it. We're just the stewards. We've just come on here to say, I'll take care of it. I'll manage it for you, God. And we're supposed to do it properly, right? David even humbly admitted that his kingdom, the one that he had ruled as a king, he goes, this kingdom? You know, I've got a crown on my head right now, and I'm, I'm leading this, this nation right now, but you know who owns this kingdom? God. He rules it. He owns it. His crown, his throne, not mine. Our jobs that we have, those of us who are employed, guess what? That's not your job. God gave that to you. You get to manage it well. You get to steward it well. You get to take the job that God's given you to use for his glory, not yours. Adore God for being over all these things of wealth, paychecks, raises, Whatever, whatever it is, your bonuses, your positions of authority, your power, those come from God. Have you thanked God for those positions lately? Some are like, oh, I don't like going to my work. You know what? God gave you the job. What can you do for him at your place of work, your place of occupation? He gave it to you. Manage it. Manage it well. Be a witness for him. And again, God rules over all those things in us. Power and might, those are in the hands of God. He can do whatever he pleases. Nothing is too big for him to accomplish. Or too small for him to overlook. It's God who gives us the opportunity to be great, to be strong, and to be skilled. He gives those moments to us. So we say, thank you, God. As you head into Thanksgiving, thank God for these things. Look back in your Bibles. First Chronicles, we're still there. Chapter 29, let's look at verse 13. Oh, our God. 
We thank you. We praise your glorious name. Verse 14. But who am I? And who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have comes from you. Do you ever feel that way before? Like you want to give somebody something, but they already own it? It's like, I don't even know what to get you because you already have everything. That's sort of what David's expressing here. And he goes, and we give you only what you first gave us. Verse 15. We are here for only a moment. We're visitors. We're strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. David emphasized here the greatness of God. And now he, now he recognizes the weakness of mankind. Isn't God great and powerful and almighty? Then he gets the man like, we're only here for a little bit. David recognized the frailty of life, the, the shortness of our stay here on earth. Momentary, visiting, passing shadow, he uses words like that. And while we are here in that momentary life, God gives us what we need. We're like somebody who walks up to the house in the middle of the winter and God opens the door and says, hey, come on in, get warm. Let me feed you something. Let me take care of you. He shows us hospitality. He shows us love. That's the way God works, right? Look at verse 16. Oh, Lord, our God, even this material that we've gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. David wanted to build this huge temple. He wanted to honor God, but God's like, no, not you. It's not going to be you. It's going to be your son, Solomon. It's going to build the temple. But David's like, so what can I do, though, God? I want to I give back to you. You've given me a kingdom to rule, and it's your kingdom. And, and I want to build this temple so all can worship you like I'm worshiping you. And God says, well, then just here's the outline. Go ahead and gather the materials, but Solomon's going to build it. So David calls together this nation, and they're bringing things together to build this incredible temple for God. And he goes on to say in verse 17, I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and you rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I have done all this with good motives. I have watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. Because see, all these people were bringing everything they had to build the big temple. They're like, I, I don't have much, but I got this. I'll give this to God. And they gave it joyously. They gave it generously. They were like, oh, I got to give to the temple. No, it was, I get to give to the temple. I get to give so that we can build something incredible for God. A place to worship him. Verse 18. O Lord, the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make your people always want to obey you. See to it that their love for you never Changes. I underlined that in my Bible. Make your people always want to obey you. See to it that their love for you never changes. Verse 19. Give my son Solomon the wholehearted desire to obey all your commands, laws, and decrees. And do everything necessary to build the temple for which I have made these preparations. David prays for the people. He steps back down and he just prays for all these people. And he prays that they will remain obedient to the words of God. He prays that their love for God will not change. What a great prayer. We pray, God, that our love for you never changes. It's such a great moment of worship and love being expressed. David did not want this moment to end. <clears throat> he prays for his own son Solomon for obedience as he prepares to build the temple. David, David knew that this was the key to lasting health of the kingdom of Israel and the security of this dynasty. And that was if they'd be obedient to God. 
Look at verse 20. Then David said to the whole assembly, Give praise to the Lord your God. And the entire assembly praised the Lord, the God of their ancestors. And they bowed low and knelt before the Lord and the king. Did you see how this all came to an end then? When it came time to praise the Lord, it wasn't for the, enough for the people to just have a feeling in their heart. Like, oh, I love God. I can feel it right here. I, I love God. And we're praying and we're singing, right? They had to do something to demonstrate their heart towards God. What did they do? They bowed their heads and they prostrated themselves before the Lord. These people surrendered and lowering themselves to a position of humbleness. When I'm in an authority, I stand over somebody. But when I get down here, or even here, or even here, it is no longer I who'm in charge. I'm bowing myself to the one who is in charge. And that's what these people did. They lowered themselves to a humble position and said, it is not us who is in charge. It is you, God. We love you, and that's how we're going to show our love to you. But so many of us, oftentimes, our hearts get so hard and so selfish that we're like, I'm not bowing to you. I'm going to show you that I'm in charge. And instead of lowering ourselves, we stand tall and we even clench our fists and puff out our chest and throw back our shoulders as if to say, I'm in charge. You listen to me. We defy God. God is great. And all that he has given us is good. Listen, circumstances may change. Losses may come in our life. That doesn't change the nature of God. Our bad day does not change the character and the attributes of a holy God. It just makes loving him a little bit more challenging due to our weaknesses. In those moments, we do what the psalmist expressed in Psalm 121. Psalm 121, it says this, I look up to the mountains... Does, does my help come from there? Listen, church, I love the mountains. They're so powerful, so majestic, right? And the psalmist says, I looked up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? No. My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Church, you ever feel like that sometimes? God, where are you at? I want to love you, but I feel like you're not around right now. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as a protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and you go both now and forevermore. You know, I admire people, celebrities, athletes with a lot of skill. A lot of us do, right? We love watching people who have this incredible skill. And whether it's an athlete that has an amazing talent or a singer or a dancer, whatever it may be. And then there's other people we, we truly admire because they have such strong character. They're so giving, so loving, so selfless. We admire their character. Sometimes you find a unique person who has a lot of skill and a lot of character. Not too often. But here's the thing. God is above all that. We want to get autographs of people. We want to take selfies with famous people. And we, we just say, oh, we're just like, oh, I got to meet so-and-so. And we're like all excited, right? And it's like, did you see who I got my picture with? And it, I, that's fun, right? Have we ever felt that way about God? You ever get excited about when you met God? 
on Sunday when you come to worship him? Do you ever get excited about the opportunity to meet God in worship? I can't wait for Sunday. When we sing together, I'm going to go meet God. It's to this amazing and majestic God that we must surrender. Yield yourself to the Almighty. Bow to the King and pray. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 to 24 says this. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and brings justice and righteousness to the earth. And then I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. We don't boast in our talents. We don't, we don't boast in our treasures. We don't boast in our family. We don't boast in our riches. But we boast in knowing God and loving him. To know God is to love God. And to love God, we must know God. And to know God, we must surrender to God. So I go back to the question I asked last week. How do we love God? We've got to surrender to him. How do we surrender to him? We've got to know him. Paul said in Philippians 3.8, he said, Yes, everything is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything else is worthless. Listen, it's impossible to define God. But we must think accurately about God. He is wonderful. He is king. He is almighty. He is great. He is creator. He is Lord of all. And to think accurately about God, we must, as I said last week, immerse ourselves in God's word. Church, I, I, I don't really share these things, but I'm going to share this with you. It's just sort of odd, so I felt like I'm supposed to. But I had two dreams this week, okay? One night right after the other. They were so vivid, so real, that I woke up. I remember the first night I had that one dream, I woke up at 4 a.m., I looked at the clock, and I thought, that was crazy. I can remember every single detail. And I couldn't go back to sleep because I was like sort of worked up about it. And then the next night, I had another dream. It was about the same time, and it was so real, so vivid, the details and everything. The dreams were almost humorous, okay? But at the same time, I felt they had... They were alarming. It was no angel of God appearing to me. Okay. I didn't have Gabriel show up next to my bed and say, I didn't have any of that. Okay. But the dream I had, the first one was this. I was in this big church that I was speaking at. And it was big, but it was not full. There was just small pockets of people spread out. And before I spoke, the person that was up giving the announcements was a very personal person. And I I remember, I can't remember who the person's name is right now, but they're giving the announcements, and I remember they had a joke that they were going to tell, and they started to tell a joke, and that personal person became very monotone, and started to tell a joke, and didn't even hit the punchline, just stopped. And I was out there, I'm going, you didn't even tell the punchline, you missed the best part. And he walked off, I'm thinking, oh, brother, yeah, what a great way to start church, you know. And then as he walked off the stage, I made my way around the back of the church. And as I made my way around the back of the church, I noticed that the church extended out even further. And there's more pockets of people. But again, big church, but 
somewhat empty. And then he started to play another song, and then this young man on the, on the side stood up, and he almost started dancing around a little bit, and everybody's like getting excited, singing the song, almost as if the song was for him and not for God. And I was thinking, that's nice. Why is he dancing around, and why are they celebrating him and not God? And as the song ended, I made my way on the stages, and I got up to the stage. The stage was anywhere from like 100 to 200 feet long. It was a long stage. And there was a, there was a music stand, and I had to get around the music stand, and there was like a, a half wall there. And I was trying to work my way around, and there's all these chords, and the chords were all over the place. And I got up to the podium, and, and there was my mic. So I was trying to put my mic on and, and grab my PowerPoint clicker. And, and as I was trying to, the, the, do you ever see those braces the headgear kids used to wear? That was the microphone system. I was like trying to fit it on and, and I felt my head was getting crushed. And I was like, oh man, this, this hurts. And there was a choir loft and there were some people in there and Pastor Dave was in there. He was like, ah, just put it on. We all wear it. And I was like, no, this hurts. This isn't right, you know? And then I finally got it on and I started to preach. And as I started to preach, people were having their own little conversation like, man, they're not even paying attention. And then in the middle of that, this young lady in a pink formal comes up and she pulls out a dust rag and she starts dusting off my podium as I'm preaching. I'm going, what is, this church is ridiculous. You know? And I'm like, I'm done. I'm out of here. And I grabbed my Bible and I walked off and I woke up and I was like, that was weird. What was that all about? And I, I was thinking, I don't know. I don't think that, I don't think it's from God or anything, but it was just, it was just really weird. But here's the thing. I woke up saying that was the most chaotic, entertaining church I've ever been to, right? It was big, but it was empty. And I almost felt, is that the church of today? Big churches, but yet we're so spiritually empty. And, and we're become entertaining and chaotic. And, and where's God's word? And anytime, you know, to, to, to preach God's word, there was an interruption, whether it was our own little conversations going on or whether there's somebody coming up, here, I need to clean some stuff off. And it's like, is the word of God being hindered from being preached and taught? Are we studying God's word? Or our Bibles become covered with dust that needs to be dusted off. And then the second dream. I'm driving down the road and, and on a four-lane highway and this truck pulls up beside me and I'm driving and I think I had my phone in my hand and, and, and it was my father-in-law. And I'm thinking, oh, hey. And it's like, you want to race? You know, so I put down my phone, picked up a sandwich, and I pretend like I was eating, you know, and, and having fun with them and just, you know, bantering back and forth. And next thing I look, and there's a curve. And I, I was going too fast to slow down, and I went off the road, and, and I hit these, these blocks and these, these uh, cement cylinders, and, and the car was sort of scooting around and hitting things. And, and I thought, oh, boy, I can't believe I just, I was so embarrassed. It wasn't so much about, am I hurt, is the car damage? I was just embarrassed, right? And my, my father-in-law pulls over, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm good. You just keep on going. And, and, and I tried to put my car in reverse. I'm trying to back up. And it was, I could hear it sort of crunching and it didn't sound so good. And other cars were pulling over. They thought this was a terrible accident. I'm like, no, I'm good, I'm good. You just keep going. I'm okay. And so I tried to pull back on the highway. And I, just, I couldn't turn. I went straight across the highway into a big grassy area. And I'm thinking, what's going on? And, and I tried to get it in gear and again. But all of a sudden now I felt like I was in neutral. And I just slowly... Falling back into the highway. And pieces of the car on the inside were falling apart too. And I was like pulling the gears and they were falling out. I'm like, what's going on? And I was slowly creeping on the highway. I was fearful that I was going to get hit by an oncoming vehicle that didn't see me. It was so vivid. It was so clear. Both dreams. And I was trying to think, God, what are you, is this 
Does this say anything? Did I, what did I eat the night before? Right? Did anybody ever do that? Or like, what was I drinking or eating? What was going on? And I'm not an interpreter of dreams, but I felt like I was being warned to slow down. Pay attention. Don't try to impress people from the pulpit or of my life. When life becomes about me trying to impress people with how I live out there, then my life is going to fall apart. I'm going to crash. And there's going to be damage outside and inside. And I thought about this. Maybe, maybe I'm being told, you know, hey, church, tell the church, hey, be alert. Be alert. Pay attention. Are we loving God or are we just pretending to love God and we're trying to look good? Are we acting like we love God or have we turned God into entertainment and seeking self-fulfillment? It's like, I'm coming here to get something from me. Is that what the church has become? Maybe I'm supposed to warn the church about that. Are we trying to impress others, helping them to believe in an awesome God and become awesome Christ followers of God? Church, I want to encourage you to surrender. Surrender. Realize that there's a mighty God in heaven. He doesn't want to be entertained. He wants to be loved. And he doesn't want us to put the focus on ourselves and ourselves being entertained. He wants us to wake up and worship him for who he is. Surrendering's hard because we, we have to give up the way we do things, isn't it? I don't know if you, you heard this, but uh, Nebraska recently changed their new state slogan. Their new state slogan is, uh, Nebraska, honestly, it's not for everyone. <laughs> don't you love that? After four consecutive years of being the state that's last on the list of states to visit, Nebraska finally said, we concede. It's not for everybody, so don't feel like you have to come here. You know, everybody's like, it's the cornfield I drive through to get to the Rockies, right? That's what it is. But I think, you know, sort of think about this is pretty clever. But you wonder, could Nebraska possibly have got any idea from Jesus and his followers? Because Jesus and his followers are like, hey, it's not for everybody. You gotta pick up your cross and you gotta deny yourself. Maybe being a follower of Christ isn't for you, because it's tough. But it's so rewarding. When God calls us to surrender, he means it. It isn't one of those, oh, I can just surrender a little bit of my life. No, he wants all of it. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Will we humble ourselves and come off the thrones of our lives and let the rightful king take over or not? You want to love God? You got to know God. You want to know God? You got to surrender to him. And surrendering to him means recognizing he is almighty and awesome. Worship team, would you please come forward? Churches, as sum this up again. I, I want us to be a church that says I love God. And, and, and loving God can't happen unless I give up myself and my things. It's so easy to look at my own life and say oh, I've got it all together. But if I'm going to love God I want to look at it in, not as a religion but as a relationship. And I look at the relationships in my life, especially in my family, with my wife. I can't have a relationship with somebody if I don't spend time with them. I can't spend time with somebody if I'm too busy with all the things in my own life. 
parents with young kids. Sometimes we're trying to do all these things for the sake of our kids and we don't spend time with our kids. And as a result, we don't get to know our kids. I think sometimes we look at backwards. If I was a child, I want to know my dad. I want to hang out with my dad. I want to get to know my dad and my mom, right? And I think God says that too. He goes, I want you to know me because I know everything already about you. You belong to me. Why don't you get to know me? Spend time with me. And you can worship me as I should be worshiped. Surrender our time. Surrender our talents. Surrender our ties. Surrender ourselves. If I want to love God, I must know God. I must surrender myself to God and see him for who he is. All Mighty God. Amen. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for our time. We can come here this morning to worship you because, God, in reality, it's not our time. It's your time. That even belongs to you. And you gave us time this morning to worship you. God, I pray that we have used time that you've given us wisely to put the focus on you to worship you God when we start realizing how big and how awesome you are it should cause us to want to surrender to you we can't beat you we can't outdo you we can't outthink you or manipulate you we might as well just concede and surrender to you and admit that we can't live life without you. God, we want a relationship with you. We want to know you more because we want to love you more. God, I thank you for this church. I pray, Lord, you bless them. Encourage them during this week as they prepare for Thanksgiving. For all the things that they can think that they're thankful for, there's probably hundreds more. The greatest thing we can be thankful for, Lord, is your love for us. For God, you so loved this world that you gave us your one, your only son, Jesus Christ. That if we believe, if we place our faith in your son, Jesus Christ, you will forgive us and you will give us eternal life. For that, I am thankful. God, I pray we're all thankful for that. Lord, we love you. We want to sing to you, God. We want to express our love back to you in song. Bless this song as we sing to you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.